Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 21. We're going to complete this chapter this evening, leaving us with one chapter left in the book of Revelation, in our study. And uh, quite interestingly enough, leaves us with one chapter in Genesis on Sunday morning. What are we going to do? We're going to finish the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible. There's 64 more books in the middle we've got to get to. So we've got plenty to do. And uh, we're going to get to them. Not all at the same time, but we're going to get to them all. As the Lord gives us grace and mercy to do so. Revelation 21. I want to begin by focusing your attention to a few things. That in these last days, we as believers in Jesus Christ really need to be focusing seriously on the essentials of our faith. Not just the fundamentals of our faith, which we should always know and always stay uh, firm and strong about. But we need to be serious about how we live and do the things that we do as believers, not only in the presence of the church, but in the presence of the world, knowing that Jesus can come at any moment. Knowing that His coming can happen at any time, day or night, awake or asleep, at work or at home. The problem is that we get so caught up in the world. We can get so caught up with all kinds of things that the only time we ever think about God or about Jesus or about the Bible or about the things that are happening in these last days is when we, when we come to church. And that ought not to be so. Because how we live in the world is a reflection of our hearts before God. It's just a very simple thing. When I look at the, the images of heaven in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter, and chapter 22 as well, when I look at these images, these visions that God gave John, you have to remember that each of the disciples, each of the apostles, including John, were taken through tremendous persecution, even to the point of death. John was allowed longer life so that the perfect and right moment, God would bring this particular vision of what is going to take place in the last days to bring clarity to us as we're looking to that day. Because in the church, we have something to look for. And we have, we have something to look forward to. We have a place to look forward to. We have a country to look forward to. We have a city to look forward to. We have a home to look forward to. We have a mansion to look forward to that Jesus has promised us. All of these things we have been given to look forward to. Which means we have to lift our heads up from this world. Now, on the other hand, we can't live with our heads in the clouds and not make proper and relevant decisions on this earth as believers. Because God put us in this world to be His testimonies, to be His witness, to give forth the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives, to be the ones who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be the ones who 
will be the extensions of the heart of Christ through our hands, through our works, and through what we say and what we do. So everything is serious that we read in the Scriptures. I had one thought today that just kind of was blowing me away, and that, that was this, this idea, you know, that you know, we all have this desire to have heaven, but we want it on our own terms. I say we, I, I, the world is that way. The world wants heaven, but it wants it on its own terms. The world wants a very peaceful and loving and merciful God. But someone needs to tell Oprah that God is a God of truth and of holiness and of righteousness. And you can't make your own God up. God is, as we have learned from Revelation chapter 6 through 19, even into 20, that He is a God who will pour out wrath upon all who have stood against Him. And that is the point that I was looking at today, this fury, wrath. We think we get upset at things when it says that God is going to pour out His wrath are we taking that too too lightly as believers you know we can get to a point on, on one extreme to say well we're safe from all of that I understand salvation but I also understand that God has taught us that we need to fear the Lord properly. And we need to have the proper fear of an awesome God. And even in the book of Hebrews, it tells us very clearly that our God is a, you know, that, that, uh, that, that our God is really a consuming fire. We have to understand these things. We have to get beyond this idea that we can make things sound good for ourselves. But let's remember that we're living in a chaotic world and much of what's happening in that world today is letting us know that God's Word is right on. All of these things were predicted. All of these things were prophesied. ISIS, ISIL, whatever you want to call it, the Islamic State, the Islamic revolution is all in the scriptures. And I can tell you it is from Genesis to Revelation. So these things are real. And we need to get real with God. And so where there is that need for us to understand that we can tremble before a holy God, we can also rest in the knowledge that our God is merciful toward us. All of that's been established. But never less than one against the other. That's how awesome our God is. So as we get into the end of this chapter, chapter 21, God has allowed us this vision of not only heaven and earth being the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness will dwell but now we, we've, been, we've looked at this picture of, 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 of the new Jerusalem where we're going to dwell. Where we as the believer in Jesus Christ will dwell. And we saw all of this, these precious things, jewelry and, 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 and precious stones and gold and, and all. And everything is very transparent parent in a sense and you can see through it all for a reason which I'll tell you in just a moment and, and all of these things are just too beautiful for us to understand and completely consider it all 
And then we're given this last vision before we go on tonight of, of these gates of the, of the walls of the city of Jerusalem, gates that are 12 gates, and, and each of the gates is a, is a single pearl. But as you enter into this city, John tells us something. Look at verse 22. That's where we're going to start tonight. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Uh, We'll come back to that in just a moment. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon uh, to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. So those gates, those big gates with a a pearl as the gates are going to be open, you know, the, the passageway through, but the gates are going to be there for you to see. But it says the gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So when we began our study of the, of the heavenly city of Jerusalem back in verse 9... There were several things, several key things that marked the city itself. First of all, and I already mentioned it, it was a city of transparency. It was a city of transparency. The constant mention of things clear as crystal or clear as glass, like the light of the city being as the jasper stone of verse 11. If you just look at verse 11 there in your text, it, it mentions a jasper stone as clear as glass or as clear as crystal. Or you consider the city itself being of pure gold like unto clear glass, it says in verse 18. The city being pure gold like unto clear glass. So it's gold, but it's clear. And you can see through it. Or think of the transparent streets of gold in verse 21. That's the kind of asphalt God used to make the roads in in the city of Jerusalem. Pure gold that you can see through. This city was designed to transmit the glory of God throughout the city and that His glory could be seen from any place in or out of the city. And again, realize that. For this splendor, this this brilliance, this effulgence, we could use all kinds of words, but it is still the transmission of the glory of God throughout. Because God now has to be seen as all and in all. It will be a city of bright, brilliant colors, their purpose being to reflect the glory of God in a, spe- in a spectrum of brilliancy, highlighting the majesty of God, gleaming transparent gold with its foundations of sparkling light and cascading colors, what we saw in verses 19 through 21. The stones are the foundations pouring forth from great jewels embedded in the sides of the city. It is a kaleidoscope of light and glory. Do you ever get one of those kaleidoscopes when you were kids, you know, and you go to the store? Hey, I hate to date myself, but you could go to the 5 and 10. They don't have those now. Those used to be 5 and 10 cent stores. Now they're like 5 and 10 dollar stores. And you get the same stuff for the same price. I mean, not the same price, but, you know, for a little bit higher. And you could go into one of these five and tens, you know, or, or go to Crest, remember Crest, or Woolworth, and you go down to these stores, and, and you could see in the toy section, they had these little kaleidoscopes, and you had little colored rocks, and you turn them, and they go into all kinds of shapes with a couple of mirrors that they had inside, and you would say, whoa, look at that, and you had to hold it up to the light. I mean, that, that was just us, but I mean, that, that's just, that would thrill us. I mean, 
in our neck of the woods, you know, anything thrilled us. But that really thrilled us. Wow! You turn it and these stones would change and then all of a sudden the, the, the patterns would, would change. Amazing. Then you get to school and, uh, you know, and, and they, they started showing you how light was broken into certain, you know, colors and all. And you, you see the prism and they, the science teacher shined the light and then all of a sudden there would be the rainbow on the wall, you know. Amazing. That's nothing compared to what God has prepared for his people. What God has prepared for the bride of his son. The gates of the city will be made of single pearls, as we said, signifying beauty out of pain. I talked about this a little bit last week. Describing beautifully how the redeemed come from the pain and the suffering of Jesus as he went through the terrible anguish of the cross. Out of that pain came forth the church of Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price. He took us who were the irritants. Remember how we said that, that uh, pearls are, are, are made inside of a, an, an oyster, you know, a little, little piece of sand, a grain of sand gets underneath and, and causes an irritation. But inside the oyster, there's this nacre that, that gets poured out and covers that little piece of sand and continues to surround it and until it turns into a beautiful, beautiful pearl. The nacre, of course, being mother of pearl. That's, and yet if you see mother of pearl, you see the brilliance and the colors. Can you imagine on gates as big as the ones that will be at the city of, of God? He took us who were those irritants and he covered us in his righteousness to make us a pearl in his sight. So that is what we will be reminded of every time we will pass through one of those pearly gates. We will remember what Christ did for us on the cross. So now we approach one more significant aspect in the heavenly city of Jerusalem, and that is what every city usually has. Back, of course, in the olden times, depending on the religion of the city, because cities had religions, and sometimes usually it was the only religion around and they didn't accept or like any other religions but in those cities they would have a temple you remember how many times Paul would go into a city and first he would go to the synagogue and then he would go out to the world and he would go out into the, into the city and a lot of times he'd probably be around close to those temples telling people about Jesus and causing all kinds of problems Every city had its, its temple. Athens had many temples because they had many gods. But you go into the city of the New Jerusalem and there are no temples. And that's the thing we see here. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now think about this. We see in the scriptures, and we've covered these verses before, where we are told that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to take care of the temple because it is the, the temple of God. The bodies of every believer, is, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We get to heaven, now God is our temple. And temples are places where we gather to worship our God. So John makes this declaration that there's no temple in the city because God the Father and His Son, the Lamb of God, are its temple. You see, the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem served a purpose in their day. And the temples men build in our day are not all without value. But no temple will be needed in this city. Earthly temples are supposed to symbolize the presence of God, but in God's holy city, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the, the image of the invisible God, is its temple. It tells us clearly the Lamb is its temple. 
And let's never forget that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, as Paul declares uh, uh, very clearly in, in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. So He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ. Then a little later in Colossians 2 verse 8, it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. So, believer in Jesus Christ, you are complete. Perfect is the word used in the Scriptures, but to understand it, it means we are whole and complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. Therefore, because in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, There will be no need for signs, there will be no need for symbols, there will be no need for sacraments, and there will be no need for systems in the New Jerusalem. There won't be any need for that anymore. Buildings and liturgies, by the way, do not make a church. We are the church. We are the church of the living God. That is why we are the temple of the Holy Spirit here on this earth. But buildings and liturgies do not make a church, nor do they prove that God is there. How many churches do we see today that do not care for the Word of God? They do not even open Bibles in those places. They become social clubs and whatever. Do you think God is there? He's not even welcome there. So buildings and liturgies don't make a church, and they don't prove that God is there. But in God's city, His presence will be there continually. And because of that, every need, every need, if there be any needs in heaven, will be met in Him. Because everything has already been met in Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our next verse in the text, Revelation 21, verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The glory of God illuminated the city. The Lamb is its light. Therefore, the glory of God is the Lamb of God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The glory of God is the Lamb of God. And the Lamb is its light. But let's add to that verse 5 of the next chapter. Verse 5 of chapter 22. We're taking a a little step ahead. and And it says, There shall be no night there they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever so in that city which Christ has prepared for his own there will be no created light simply because Christ himself who is the uncreated light will be there Remember that Jesus in John 8 verse 12 said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. You can go all the way back to John chapter 1. I'm not going to do that, but you can go back and read the very beginning of John chapter 1. It talks about Jesus when it says of of the Logos, In him was life and in, in the life was the light of men. Jesus is the light. He's always been the light. So think about, you know, it's, it's hard to, sometimes to, to kind of compress these thoughts into, into something that's workable in our finite minds. But I think of, of here Jesus being contained. You know, he, he, he stepped from the glory of being at the right hand of the Father and he took upon himself flesh. And in that little body you know that came through Mary and then and then of course grew and, and all along he was the glory of God contained you know just kind of wrapped in this flesh wanting to come out 
And there were a couple of times when it did come out. I mean, you talk about the transfiguration there, you know, when Peter, James, and John were taken up to the mount, you know, and, and, and Jesus met there with, with Moses and, and Elijah, and, and, and they saw His glory. It was like, you know, it just kind of peaked out. Pow, and then, they, whoa, you know, they saw His glory. He allowed them that vision, which was in reality taking place before them. And Peter, James, and John, I'm sure, at some point were rubbing their eyes like, is this a dream? Pinching each other? Are you dreaming? I'm, I, just the brightness. I think of Moses going up to the, to that burning bush, being called by God. Moses, take off your sandals for the ground upon which you stand is holy ground. He hears the voice of God. Then later on he sees the writing of God on stone tablets. When Moses makes his way down from the mountain, we're told there was a glory on him that he had to cover up. It was too great. For anyone to see. Makes you wonder who was there. The Charlton Heston. I'm just trying to see if anybody's awake here. He is the light. We mentioned uh, on Sunday the passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 the people who walk in darkness shall see a great light and it was that prophecy of Jesus preaching the word of God in the land of Issachar and Zebulun in Galilee by the sea And then the ancient prophecy shall be fulfilled. The prophecy of Isaiah 60 verses 19 and 20 that says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Once the light of the glory of God shines bright as the light of all of that great city, shining in and through that beautiful gold and majesty, Who's ever going to worry about looking up at the sun anymore? Don't look at the sun, you're going to go blind. Remember that? You know, your mom used to say that. But you'll have bodies that can take it. You'll have eyes that can take it. Because God has prepared for each one of us a body that will last forever in heaven. And the good thing is there's no more night. It'll be constant light. The created lights of God and of men are as darkness when compared with our blessed Lord Jesus. The light that He diffuses throughout eternity is the unclouded and undimmed glory of His own holy presence. In consequence of the fullness of that light, there shall be no night. That's a good consequence. No more night. Think of it. No darkness forever. I wish I had known that. Back when I was a kid, having to go throw the trash out of an alleyway. Middle of the night when it was like, you know... You know, we're, we were so programmed, you know, to, because of the old black and whites, Frankenstein and Dracula, you know. Go throw the trash. Not until this day. It's too dark out there. But finally when you were threatened, you went out there, threw it in there, and then you ran right back, taking the biggest flash like you could find. Darkness scares people. 
There will be no darkness in heaven because there's nothing to fear. Everything is exposed. Because everything that was in the darkness, every, even darkness itself, has been destroyed. The evil will be destroyed. Those who cause the evil will be destroyed. And then in verse 24 it tells us, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Now, that's an interesting thing. The glory and honor is, is almost as if they're bringing tithes as well to the kingdom and to the temple that's in heaven. The temple being, of course, the Lord Jesus. As the new Jerusalem is suspended over the earth, the nations of the earth will receive the benefit and the blessing of the divine radiance and the divine brilliance. It will be by this holy light that the nations will walk. For it is the light of life, it is the light of truth, it is the light of holiness, and it is the light of righteousness. They will walk in this light. And there will be nations. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But by this light, nations will walk. Life, truth, holiness, and righteousness. And what do we know about those things? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the life and the truth. But he's also the holiness. Jesus is the holiness of God. There was one kind of mundane example, as it were, not really mundane, but it was just kind of a a simple example in the Gospels where Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and there was a storm and, and Jesus got up and he calmed the storm. And that really, really did something to the heart of Peter. I mean, it, 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 it put him in fear. And he recognized who Jesus was. And, and he said, in essence, Jesus, you, you can't be here. I can't be here with you. He recognized his holiness. When we recognize the holiness of God, what does that do to our hearts? Think of Isaiah when he sees the Lord high and lifted up in verse 1 of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up in the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Three times. He doesn't just say holy is the Lord. He says holy, holy, holy. The one attribute that is recorded three times in the scriptures. No other attribute recorded this way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And what does that do to Isaiah? It goes on to tell us that because of this, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord of hosts. What does it do to us? This is that seriousness that I was talking to you about earlier. That if we see the holiness of God in Christ, what does it do to you? Or has anything been done to you? Have we made surface, superficial Pleadings to God? Or have we really sensed that we have faced a holy God? The whole earth, it says, is full of His glory. The holiness. 
but of the righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 it says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of those things is what Jesus is to us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You see, the world today is not seeing that light as it should. But in the day to come, all nations shall walk in it. All the nations that are left. I know that we are going to get into a a passage in, in a few weeks. Not revealing too much to you yet. But it is one that lets us know that there will be a war against God and His people where all the nations come against Jerusalem. But not all nations will perish. Nonetheless, the light of the world has come into this world to tell us something if we believe in Him. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, then listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Let your light so shine before men. Did he not just say a few verses before this, You are the light of the world? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The light's here now. And you're a bulb. Or at least one of the bulbs. Don't flicker. It is encouraging to note that not all will be destroyed when the nations come to do battle against Jerusalem and the Lord Himself, meaning that there will be kings on the earth or kings of the earth who will be a part of the eternal state. Now remember, there is a difference, there is a distinction between the new, the new Jerusalem and the new earth, but on the new earth there will be people living on the earth. There isn't much to say as, as, as to who they might be, we're not sure, but it is clear that besides the glorified church that will reside in the new Jerusalem, which we've been talking about in this chapter, There will be nations dwelling on the renewed earth, led by kings and rescued from eternal damnation and separation. All more than likely in the same way that we were rescued and saved from eternal separation and damnation. And a great suggestion of this is found in Revelation 22 verse 2. So let's go back and let's go forward another page and look at Revelation 22 verse 2 because it says, In this city... In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. How how many of you remember the tree of life? You see, next week when we get into Revelation 22, we're going to begin to see the connection between the last verse, or I should say the last chapter of the book of Revelation, and the chapters in, in the book of Genesis, the earlier chapters of the book of Genesis, where we saw the tree of life. So here's the... The whole cycle now, all the way back to the beginning. But here is the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And I will talk about that more next time. So we're, we're getting more and more of a picture, even though, you know, much of this is still in, in, in a vision form that John has given us and we make connections at times through the references and the various uh, uh, chain references that we might find in other chapters as we've done tonight and as we have throughout this whole study in the book of Revelation but there's still a lot of things we don't know yet but we will when the time comes And and there's a good reason why we don't know everything yet 
And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we get into the last three verses of our text, let me ask you all a question. Don't you just hate it? Don't you just hate going somewhere and finding out the place that you were looking forward to visiting is closed? You ever been there? I did that the other day. I was looking forward to eating Taco Cabana. Uh, I live down in, in Lower Valley and yeah, I moved there 12 years ago and 12 years ago there was a Taco Cabana over on, off of uh, the Americas over there. So that's where I thought it was. I was like, ah, my, 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 my mouth was watering and, and I was just kind of looking forward to going over there. And I was going to surprise Sessie, you know, bring all this stuff, you know. And she was, whatever she was doing. Anyway, so I, <laughs> so I get in my car and I drive all the way around, you know, because it's, it's weird down there off of the Americas. You got to go off the freeway here and then go under here. And, and I turn around and it's all boarded up. You talk about deflation. I was deflated. I wasn't upset. There's food all over the place. But you get this idea. You want to eat Taco Cabana, you know. So I ended up at the ranch market. That was even better. Anyway, why should I be telling you these things? The point of the matter is, you know, we all, go, we all want to go someplace. We all have this desire to go someplace. And we end up showing up. And then all of a sudden it's closed on a certain day, you know. <sighs> Doesn't that frustrate you? Well, here in the New Jerusalem, you won't have to worry about that. Because in verses 25 through 27, it tells us its gates shall not be shut at all. By day. Oh, by the way, there shall be no night there. So it's always day. So it's always open. And you can't say 24-7 because we don't have time over there. I mean, we don't, you know, it's not 375, what is it, 365, 24-7, whatever the numbers are. We don't have numbers anymore. It's just always going on. No closing time. Isn't that wonderful? And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. The doors will be open and the nations will come. I don't know how they'll do it, but they're going to do it. They're going to come. They're going to bring the glory and the honor before the Lord. But there shall be by no means. Now listen this warning, because this is what this is. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles. The warning for the present of those listening. There shall be no means... uh, By no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Six times the the book of life is mentioned in the the book of Revelation. Only this time is it it, uh, labeled the Lamb's book of life. The only time. And I think that that's significant because it belongs to Him. All the other books that were open at the uh, great white throne judgment, those are all closed and done, sealed. This is the book that's open and reveals those who live there. If you go back to verse 25 for just a moment, gates were and are usually shut by night. But in the heavenly city there will be no night. There shall be a continually free access into it so that all that is blessed and glorious may be continually be brought into it. So it was in the, in the millennium, so shall it be in eternity. The gates will always be open because there will be no darkness in the city at all. Symbolically, it is speaking of sin as well. In the eternal state, sin will be gone completely and totally. See, if darkness is gone completely and totally, that means sin is gone completely and totally. 
Nothing can enter the city that would ever defile it. Nothing or no one impure, nothing or no one false, nothing or no one lascivious or sexually impure. None of that. Anything to cause an abomination. There are tremendous abominations being caused today, even in the church. By people who say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that. That's not really what the Bible means. And all we have to do is mention a couple of things, don't we? And there's more. The dishonoring of marriage. That's one. The dishonoring of what God had created in Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That was the standard. That was the design. The law was clear, but today people say that's not what it says. And it's not what it means. Folks, God means what he says and he says what he means and he wrote it down and gave it to us. And he said, I never change. I never change. So it pains me when people take on the attitude of the serpent and they say, did God really say that? Of course not. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And it pains us more that unless they hear the cry of the gospel that says, come to Jesus Christ and be set free from this bondage of sin and death, that it's clear from the warning. None of those things and no one of that sinfulness will enter in. The fact is we were all sinners. We're all sinners now. But we have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. That is to follow him in eternity, to follow him in truth, to follow him in obedience. Listen to this interesting verse in Isaiah 35, verse 8. It says, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. If a person is on that road, and look, I, I guess in a sense we are all fools. From the standpoint of what we were before we came to Jesus Christ. But the fact is that the unclean, those who remain unclean willfully and by choice will not walk on that road. Will not do it. You go on a little later in Isaiah 52, verse 1, it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. There will be a time when no longer the city will receive uncleanness. But though this chapter ends with a warning, that being of, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not enter into this eternal state with him. It continues then to expound the blessings and the virtues of the holy city. Uh, It is a reminder that the time is now to get ready. It is a reminder now of the time to get ready. You see, citizenship in eternity is applied for here on the earth by going to the cross. That's how you apply for this citizenship. You go to the cross of Jesus Christ. The new Jerusalem is the destination of all true believers. Write down the word destination if you're taking notes. There'll be a test at the end. 
The new Jerusalem is the destination of all true believers. John recorded the words of Jesus in his gospel. You remember when he met with a a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, but a godly man, and a man who would be a believer in Jesus Christ. And he comes to him by night because of his position and because of the things that could be said or assumed. But he comes to Jesus by night and he inquires of him. And Jesus said to him this, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Those are the words of Jesus. Only a person born again by the Spirit of God can see these things in the book of Revelation. And even though they may not understand all things fully, there is no doubt that God's word and promises will come to pass. There is no doubt. Our eyes have been open. Your eyes have been open as much as you want them to be open before the Lord. But that is our destination. We have a destination. Every believer has had that destination in his heart. Every believer knows that this is not home. This is not where we're going to end our lives. The New Jerusalem is also our inspiration. Not just our destination, it's our inspiration. To be our inspiration, it is our hope. The biblical definition of hope is an absolute expectation of coming good that affects a person's life in the present. That is biblical hope. Let me say it again. The biblical definition of hope is an absolute expectation of coming good that affects a person's life in the present. That hope grows and becomes more tangible the more we grow in Christ. I take this little statement that I'm going to make from an old song we used to sing in the first person. We'll, 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 we'll change that here for a moment. The song was, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. But let me say, to include you with me, the longer we serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that we love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven, our hearts overflow. The longer we serve him, the sweeter he grows. Because Christ is our hope. He is our inspiration. And Paul desired this so much for the church. Paul desired it so much that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 he said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Speaking of him and the disciples, of those preaching the gospel, he says, What is our hope? (laughs) Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You're, you know, that's our hope, that you will be with Christ at His coming. And one last thing before we close tonight. The New Jerusalem is not just our destination and our inspiration. It is also our motivation. The New Jerusalem is our motivation. Let's turn to Hebrews 11. Because there is a reason why the Lord doesn't give us more insight about heaven than He has. (laughs) There's a reason why He doesn't just tell us everything all at once. There's a reason why the Bible isn't 5,000 more books long. And it's simple. Because ours is to be a walk of faith. Ours is to be a walk of faith and we are to trust the Lord. When the Lord says this is the way it's going to be, how? Well, it's going to be that way. How? Shut up. You don't need to know. You just need to trust me. Now, that's pretty simplistic because you know He's given us a lot of information. 
But still, we don't know everything. But that's good, because if we knew everything, we wouldn't trust Him. And He wants us to trust Him. I think of Abraham in, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out knowing, not knowing, he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, can you imagine you listen to God one morning and you know, and you wake up and, and, and God speaks to you and he says, Abraham. Actually, it was Abram. Abram. Yes, Lord. It's time to leave your home in the Ur of the Chaldees. Time to get up. Let's go. Okay. Pack your bags. There's no, there's no mention of, where am I going? He just did it. That's why Abraham is the man of God that we know him to be, the man of faith that we know him to be, the friend of God, because he trusted God. Come on, Lord, give me just a little hint. Come on, just tell me. Come on, just, just a little Shut up. No, he just went. He just went. He started walking. The Lord just guided him. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country. Folks, that is how we need to live here on this earth. By faith we are to dwell here as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That city is the city that we've been talking about. That is the city of the new Jerusalem. Abraham kept moving because he was looking for this city. He didn't find it in Egypt. He didn't find it in Jericho. Jacob didn't find it in Syria or Isaac in Canaan. It didn't matter where they went. They were left with an emptiness, a sense that where they ended up was not what they hoped it would be. There were always disappointments there. There were always disappointments wherever they went. They had a desire for a heavenly city that made them feel uncomfortable with this present world. Are you uncomfortable in this present world? I hope you are. That's a good sign. If you're uncomfortable in this world. Because we just don't fit anymore. We, We just don't fit like we used to. Oh man, we used to fit in this world. Yeah. Right? I know that's a generation or two before we used to get down, man. Yeah, right. We don't fit anymore. We're not of this world. But let's, let's go on down to verse 13 and following. We'll close with this. These all died in faith. Speaking of all those who came after Abraham in faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. Embrace them. Now get this list. Don't don't miss this. They were assured of them, the promises. They embraced them, the promises. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were assured of them. They embraced them. And they confessed that that they themselves were not of this world. The enemy tries to make us say, Hey, it's pretty good here. It's pretty comfortable here. I'm just so thankful God has blessed us all with everything that we need, sometimes even more, and it humbles us. Because, in the, you know, when it gets right down to it, He's all we need. But He gives us more so that we can give more. So that we can give more of ourselves to others who need to know Jesus. So always remember this. Oh, I, I missed a couple more verses. Let me finish off here. For those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. When we say we're strangers, that, that just means we're, we're seeking something that's not here. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Some of you might remember this from Sunday because I, I shared this not too long ago. So that's connecting us also to Genesis. But, you know, if we, if, if, if we had in mind a country, that's where we would want to go. Kind of like Lot, you know, for a moment. Even though later on, you know, he was re, uh, made righteous. 
But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He is not ashamed. God is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city for us. He's not ashamed to be called our God when we say, you know, Lord, come quickly because I just, not, I just don't fit here. But I'll do everything you want me to do until that day. Because you're too important to put second place. The new Jerusalem, it's our destination. It is our inspiration. And it's our motivation. That's, our, that's the seriousness of what we talked about earlier. Are you serious about that? In your life? Are you serious about either your commitment to Christ or the lack of, of the lack thereof? Because Jesus loved us so much that he gave of himself completely, totally gave of himself so that we might be his sons and daughters and be rescued from this life, rescued from this world. I think I said this last week or sometime in the near past. The older I get, I just think I never said it before. Probably said it a thousand times. I'm, I'm sick and tired of death and pain and suffering. But I know that God has us here for a reason. Until that day, we need to trust the Lord. We need to serve the Lord. And we need to proclaim the Lord. Amen? I don't want anybody to come up here in front. I want us just to pray now. Let's all stand and let's just pray. I don't want anybody to come up. I don't need anybody up here in front. Right now, I just want you to get serious with God. It'd be easy for me to say, well, if you don't get serious with God today, you can do it next week. can't tell you that. Because I don't know what's going to happen after we leave those doors today. So I'm just telling you right now, get serious with God. Get serious with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to do His work in this place tonight. But our hearts need to be surrendered. I pray, Father, that, Lord, those that are here, I, I, Lord, I don't want anyone in this room to be a nominal Christian. As, as I see in your word, that just won't cut it. I don't want anyone, Lord God, to miss heaven. I don't want anyone to miss this city that you prepared for us. I, I just pray, Father, that we will take your, your word serious tonight. And let your Holy Spirit work and move inside of us. One thing that I've learned in over 40 years of knowing you, Lord, is that none of us can outsmart you. None of us can outthink you. None of us can outgive you. We just need to die to ourselves and let Jesus Christ live in us through the power of his Holy Spirit.
And Lord, I just want to wait for you to do that work in the hearts of those here tonight. And move, Lord God, in a way that says, Lord, I need you right now. I want to stop playing games. I want to get right with you. I want to quit looking at this world as if everything that I need is in it. And I'm going to look to you to provide for me everything that I need for life and godliness through Jesus. I'm going to stop living in the past and start, start living in the present with my eyes upon the future. I'm going to trust, Lord, that you're going to meet my every need. At the same time, I'm going to work, I'm going to move, I'm going to love, I'm going to witness, I'm going to worship. And above all, I'm going to worship you. So, Father, I pray that you, Lord, will hear the hearts of those who are right now crying out to you.